Sunday's number of confirmed cases of local COVID infection stands at 287. This is on top of another 170 retrospectively adjusted cases, which resulted from a backlog of cases from last week. The cases are mostly from Banqiao in New Taipei City and Wanhua in Taipei City. Taoyuan also had 23 cases. Taidong is the only county with zero infection Sunday. Worthy of note is that Sunday saw six COVID-related deaths, the highest daily death count for Taiwan so far. Let's get the details from Central Epidemic Command Center Chief Chen Shizhong. There are 287 local cases, with another 170 cases from retrospective data adjustments. These add up to 457 cases, all of which are local infections. There are also three imported cases. Looking at the 287 local cases, according to the reports collected in the past two days, there were 138 cases of males and 149 cases of females. The symptoms came out between May 6th to May 22nd. New Taipei had the most cases with 142. As for the 170 retrospectively adjusted cases, 84 are male and 86 female. Their age ranged from under 5 to over 80 years old. The symptoms appeared from April 21st to May 22nd. Taipei City has the highest number at 88, 48 of which are from Wanhua District. New Taipei recorded 73 cases. In addition, there were six deaths today, five men and one woman. There were cases 19, 12, 23, 84, 24, 83, 29, 86, 33, 04, and 34, 17. Except for 23, 84, the remaining five people had a history of chronic diseases. As for the increase of confirmed cases, starting on the 14th, there were three consecutive days of over 4% growth, with May 15th reaching a peak at 5.8%. The trend then began to decline after that. However, on May 20th, the number bounced back slightly. Chen says more time is still needed to observe whether the community spread is still ongoing. How effective are COVID vaccines against the UK and India variants? A study by Public Health England found that after two doses, the Pfizer vaccine is 88% effective against the India variant and as high as 93% effective against the UK variant. The AstraZeneca vaccine, on the other hand, is 60% effective against the India variant and 66% effective against the UK variant. Doctors in Taiwan say that vaccination for high-risk groups, such as those with chronic diseases, can effectively reduce their risk of severe infections and death. Taiwan is doubling down on vaccine administration amid the local COVID outbreak. As of May 22nd, nearly 300,000 people have received the first dose. A recent study from the British Health Authority found that both the Pfizer and AstraZeneca vaccines are effective against variant strains. For the India variant, the AstraZeneca vaccine is 60% effective. But because it takes longer for it to start to work, one may have to wait for a while or get the second dose for it to increase in effectiveness. 
According to the study, the Pfizer vaccine is 88% effective against the India variant and as high as 93% effective against the UK variant two weeks after receiving both doses. As for the AstraZeneca vaccine, it is 60% effective against the India variant and 66% effective against the UK variant. However, both vaccines are only 30-50% to 50 effective after just one dose, so it is absolutely vital to receive both doses. For severe cases and death, the vaccines are clearly more effective in their prevention. This is especially true for individuals with chronic diseases or the elderly. Vaccination would prevent severe cases that need intensive care or intubation from appearing. Here is a timeline for vaccines in Taiwan. Since March, the country has received a batch of AstraZeneca vaccines every month, including the latest shipment of 410,000 doses. To date, there has only been 700,000 doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine. No other vaccines are available in Taiwan. To reach herd immunity and overcome the outbreak, one can only hope that the Moderna vaccines will arrive on time in June and that domestically produced vaccines be mass-produced by July or August. Taiwan's chipmakers are now grappling with their own COVID outbreak as confirmed cases emerge from within their own ranks. Amid a global microchip shortage, this may send shockwaves in the markets. He is a 35-year-old engineer at TSMC and is confirmed to be a positive case. The Taichung city government has confirmed that an employee of TSMC's Fab 15 in Taichung had contracted COVID. According to TSMC, the employee in question had been sent to a hospital for treatment with mild symptoms. His contact history reveals that he had close contact with around a dozen individuals. They have all been put into home quarantine. So far, none of them had shown any symptoms. In response, TSMC has carried out disinfection of its facilities. Apart from TSMC, Vanguard International Semiconductors Fab3 in Taoyuan and DRAM chipmaker Nanya Technology both have one confirmed case each. The three chipmakers all emphasize that operations will not be affected. The semiconductor industry has actually implemented a rotation working schedule, meaning their employees now work in staggered shifts. Yet the global microchip shortage is still looming. Cars, electronics and smartphones are some of the sectors that are heavily reliant on chip supplies from Taiwanese foundries. When would a critical point be reached? If the outbreak can be contained by the end of June, then overall chip supply will not be affected too much. But if the outbreak continues into Q3, then due to rotational work schedules and labor shortages, it will be more difficult to assess the outlook of both the industry overall and whether supply will satisfy the number of orders. Industrial PC manufacturer Aventec also reported one confirmed case. One employee from the company's Lincoln Manufacturing Center got a rapid test on May 19th after getting a fever. On May 21st, the case was confirmed positive. A follow-up PCR test that day showed the same result. The employee was later sent to a quarantine center. Aventec is now tracing his contact history and urging employees who have been in contact to get rapid testing. All employees who worked on the same floor now work from home. Aventec is also disinfecting its premises. 
All operations are going as usual. All eyes are on the industry as chip makers come under fire. Taiwanese manufacturers have all tightened COVID measures to prevent a broken link in the supply chain. In the uproar following CECC Commander Chen Shizhong's mention of the term retrospective adjustment on Saturday, one thing is certain, the demand for rapid tests is booming. Now, Chen says enterprises may soon be allowed to purchase rapid test reagents themselves. An estimated 10 million rapid test kits are needed to meet the current demand. Biotech companies that recently donated reagents to rapid test stations in Taipei and New Taipei stand to benefit as orders pour in. Take a sample from the nostril, stir the extract in the liquid, and put it in the reagent. That's all it takes. In only 15 minutes, the result is out. This is the SOP for a rapid test for COVID. However, with the recent surge of local infections, rapid test stations and the amount of available reagents have not been able to meet demand. In the elevation of local infections this time, some have benefited as the issue gains attention. Rapid test makers such as PBF and others are likely the beneficiaries this time during the spike of domestic cases. There are three kinds of rapid tests. One is the nucleic acid-based test, or PCR, which requires at least two hours to get the result. And then there's the antibody test, which detects the antibodies secreted by white blood cells when the human body fights the virus. It is often used to follow up on cases that may have been infected with the virus previously. Finally, the most popular is the antigen rapid diagnostic test. Its accuracy is not as high as that of the PCR test, but it only takes 15 minutes to identify an infected patient. The problem is that it may yield results that are false positive or false negative. This wave of demand for rapid tests has also led to an explosion of orders to frontline suppliers. PCR tests are produced by biotechnology firms like GBC and GeneReach Biotechnology. Firms that manufacture the antibody test reagents include GBC and Taiwan Advanced Biopharmaceutical, and the sector that gets the highest demand, the makers of the antigen rapid diagnostic test, include Tidoc Technology and Enimune. Many counties and cities have already set up rapid test stations. This is on top of an estimated 160 hospitals that are capable of carrying out rapid tests, as well as 65 rapid test stations that have already been planned or established. The demand coming from all these places is as high as 10 million test kits. These domestic producers of rapid test kits have all benefited. This time, as the pandemic heats up in overseas markets, the number of confirmed cases is also rising across the country. If this is the trend, then it should be an important government policy to set up rapid test stations. The recent remarks made by CECC commander Chen Shizhong alluded to the possibility of allowing corporations to purchase rapid test reagents. The biotechnology industry now stands to benefit as domestic demand rises after having responded to the demand from overseas markets. Last Thursday, two power generators were returned to the grid ahead of schedule following the completion of annual maintenance work, raising the power reserve rate from 6.13% to 7%. However, the relief was short-lived 
as power consumption increased in the sweltering heat and people staying home amid the recent surge in COVID infections. Thai Power's electricity supply system flashed a yellow warning light again on Sunday. Power consumption at 1.50 p.m. reached more than 31 million kilowatts. Thai Power says power supply will be strained for five consecutive days starting Monday. On April 2nd, 49 lives were lost when the Taroko Express train derailed at the entrance of a tunnel in Hualien. The impact of the crash left many of the victims' bodies mangled beyond recognition. As salvage work got underway, a mortuary team from Zhanghua stepped forward to offer their services. This group, called the 76 Monks, worked day and night to meticulously repair the bodies of the dead so that their families could see them as they once were one final time. Tonight, in our Sunday special report, we meet these heroes behind the scenes. The date was April 4th, two days after the Taroko derailment. The body of the accident's youngest victim, a four-year-old girl surnamed Chen, was escorted by her family away from the funeral home. We had to return all of her organs to their places, and then we had to restructure all the bones in her body. As for the body itself, we had to realign it and stitch it up. It's now in a good condition. Although he had worked 15 hours straight through the night, Chen Xiujiang had no plans to stop. The body of 21-year-old military police officer Chen Pingquan was waiting for him to restore. When he was alive, his uniform fit him well, but now his body is swollen. I've asked the family to speak with his unit and ask if it can provide a larger uniform for him to wear. The deceased must be presentable. Upholding this concept is the basis of Chen Xiujiang's profession. For the needle to go through the tissue, it has to be deep enough. If the needle is curved, when it is inserted and removed, it will be easier to control. To get it sewn up, we need the right depth and position on the tissue. We have to sew it very meticulously. So reattaching a severed limb, or even just a hand, requires several hundred stitches. Chen Xiujiang's posture and practice movements while he works are akin to those of a surgeon. However, these same hands were once used to commit acts of violence, including attacks on people. Back then, when I was in junior high school, I hung out with the older guys who would stab people and they showed me how to commit robbery. When you are a good person and you find a stable job, your whole life is just an ordinary existence. But these gang members stood out. They drove expensive cars, wore brand name clothing, they earned money like it was nothing. That world of illicit pleasures had a powerful hold on Chen Xiujiang, but mixing with that crowd also came at a high price. By the time he turned 30, he had been incarcerated six times. Only after he met the woman who would become his wife did he leave that life behind to put his energy into the funeral industry.
when they first got into the industry, the couple was disappointed by the lack of respect shown toward corpses by older funeral parlor workers. Sometimes we would need to move the body or turn it over. When they did this, they would be very coarse about it, very disrespectful. I stood next to them, thinking they didn't consider that body to be a person. To them, it was like an object. There were some older funeral workers who used large needles, like the kind you would use on leather. They would use those large needles and just sew a few points. If they were dealing with a severed hand, they would just attach it at a few points, and as long as it was stuck together, that would be good enough. They would quickly put the clothes on the corpse and call it a day. If there was a serious car accident, you wouldn't even see the face at the funeral because they didn't know how to restore it. They would just print out a picture the size of an A4 sheet of paper, something like a profile picture, and put it on the body. Wanting to do a better job, the couple began seeking instruction from a variety of professionals including makeup artists, special effects artists, and surgeons. Combining what they learned about mending and sewing tissue and applying makeup, they became masters at the art of restoring corpses. This face right here is a copy we made using fake skin. If the deceased's face is badly damaged, we might make fake skin and then apply it over top. So far in their career, Chen Xiujiang and his wife have volunteered to help the elderly who die alone. They have also assisted in times of disaster, such as the 2014 Transasia crash on Penghu, a gas pipe explosion in Kaohsiung the same year, and most recently the Taroko derailment in Hualien. I feel that every person, every business, every industry, every role has what you would call a social responsibility. It's especially true in my case, since I've received help from others in the past. Today I have the ability to help others, so maybe it is I who should be thankful. Under Chen Xiujiang's guidance, the 76 monks has grown to 300 members, including morticians, rescue workers, and social workers. These members invariably hold Chen Xiujiang's skill as a mortician in high regard. After the earthquake that struck Hualien on February 6, 2018, the two final bodies that were recovered were damaged beyond recognition, yet he was able to look at their pictures and use modeling wax to recreate their faces. In teaching his trade, Chen Xiujiang is every bit as meticulous as he is with his work, and his students are equally respectful of their strict teacher. For example, the heart, the lungs, the stomach, and so on. You can't just toss those organs in there any way you like. You have to follow their original placements, one by one putting them back in order. He is very fastidious. If I put in a stitch poorly, he will say, this was sewn by you, do you think it's okay? When he asks whether I think it's okay, I just pull it out. Of all the disasters Chen Xiujiang has encountered, none surpasses the collapse of the Weiguan Golden Dragon Building in Tainan following an earthquake there in 2016.
On February 6, 2016, an earthquake struck Tainan, causing the collapse of the Weiguan building. Rescuers on the first day recovered the body of a father holding his infant daughter, who was still breathing. However, the daughter later died in the hospital, and her two older brothers were later found dead among the rubble. The bodies of those two brothers were very seriously damaged. They had heavy floors suddenly drop on them, which caused their limbs to separate from their bodies. At the time, Chen Xiujiang and his wife had a son, but they hoped to also have a daughter. Then, two months later, Hong became pregnant, and she had a vivid dream. These two brothers had been in front of me, very close, so I saw their faces very clearly. The younger one was closest to me, so I had thought to myself, will that little boy be reborn as my child? When we went for a maternity checkup and found out it was a girl, she said, I had that dream, so why did it turn out to be a girl? I told her she had forgotten about the boy's sister. I told her maybe the boys wanted us to take care of their little sister. Later, the mother of the three deceased children, Mrs. Liu, met Chen Xiujiang and his wife and became their daughter's godmother. As if preordained, the couple and the bereaved mother became connected and their destinies intertwined. A prodigal son returned home is worth more than gold. Chen Xiujiang's mother has seen him go in and out of prison numerous times. Now that her son is on the righteous path, she can't help but beam with pride. One threaded needle at a time, Chen Xiujiang has restored the bodies of more than a thousand deceased people. In the process, he also brought peace and wholeness to his own life.